Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Some of you may recall that I was in Israel in January, and I was invited by these guys to go and experience um, some stuff going on with ICEJ. And the, one of the keynote speakers on, on that, at that time was Peter Sukahira. And I've got to tell you, he is an amazing communicator. And I know setting people up to fail is not a great thing, but, but he won't fail. Um, but I was just really interested, because Peter is the co-founder of a church on Mount Carmel, and uh, he leads a, a Bible training institute there as well. Uh, he's got an international worldwide um, relevance. Uh, is on TV in various countries from time to time. Uh, guest speaking. In fact, he was in Stuttgart this week, the home of all the best cars in the world. And uh, <laughs> for those who are in the know. Um, anyway, so Peter's with us. And he, uh, he's an author as well. So some of his resources as well is behind the curtain. So why don't we just welcome Peter as he comes to speak to us this morning. Thank you, Mark. I'm really uh, happy to be here. Thank you for your warm welcome. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for uh, opening the doors here in in Bromley. Um, My name is Peter. I'm a Japanese-American Israeli. Uh, I have a Japanese face, an American-sounding voice, and an Israeli passport. We've been living there on Mount Carmel in the northern part of Israel for the last 30 years. And as Pastor Mark said, we're uh, founders of a congregation reaching out both to Jews and Arabs. And we're seeing a, a really historic and biblical prophetic change uh, take place in, in, the, in the land of Israel. And in this morning session, I'm going to put these books down. There are some of my books on the table. You can look at them later. Um, in this session, what I'd like to talk to you about is what does Israel show you about the sovereignty of God? I mean, how do, how do you learn about God's character and God's ways in his kingdom uh, from Israel? And uh, in the next two sessions, in these uh, three services, there will be successive messages. Each one, each one will be different. And uh, on the theme of what do we learn as Christians about um, the nation of Israel and the people of Israel today? Now, God's kingdom is about his rule. There's no kingdom without the king. And uh, in, in our kingdom, uh, God has a, per- a very, very special role. You know, I understand here in Britain, you have a queen. I mean, this is, you know, I'm a foreigner. What else? <laughs> You've got a queen, and uh, she reigns, and she's honored, and she's loved, and she's considered to be the, the head of the nation, okay? At least, you know, formally, she's the head, head of the nation. She reigns in Britain, but, I, but she doesn't rule. Who rules in your nation? Well, your, your prime minister and the government. Okay, because their job is to make the laws and to enforce them. But in God's kingdom, he both reigns and rules. Okay, so we, we worship him, we honor him as, this, uh, as the great sovereign of heaven, but we know him as an up-close, let's-get-personal, in-your-face manager of the kingdom. Okay, by the Holy Spirit, he gets involved, okay, which is a good thing, which means that when we pray and we, we ask him to do things that are personal, like in our jobs and in our families and in our, in our personal lives, he's there, he's very close and, uh, and able to help us. 
but he manages his kingdom as, uh, as many of us understand, if you're in any type of, of role of uh, having authority, if you're a manager of a department in a, in a company, if you're, if you're given some responsibility in a church, if you're a mother or a father, you, you know you have, to, you have to make right decisions. And you also know that your decisions about people are probably the most important decisions that you'll ever make. No matter what type of responsibility you have, if you choose the right people and around you and get them in the right place, no matter what you're working on, it has a very high likelihood of succeeding. However, if you get the wrong people in the wrong place at the wrong time, no matter what you're working on, it probably has a very low probability of succeeding. Okay? Your, your, your choices about people are, are really, really important. You also learn that if you're in these types of positions, and all of us will be at some point in our lives, if that when you choose one, you automatically reject everyone else. Like when you get married, for example. All right, you know, hopefully that's true, right? Okay, you ch- and that's an important decision. Don't, wouldn't you agree? Okay, you know, you, all right. So you, you, make your, you make your decision, you choose one, but, but you know, even, if, even without wanting to, you reject everybody else. And so God understands that. Listen, in the Bible, you have a record of the choices that he makes. And you know what? There's something about God. He's never wrong. Right? He's got a good record. He, God has a good track record. Okay? Right? He's, he's never been known to be wrong, and he's never late. And, and the choices he makes are, are correct ones. However, human response to his choices, as the Bible describes, have never been really that great. Okay, I mean, you know, you look at the first teenagers in, in the Bible, Cain and Abel. Okay, they both brought their offerings to God. God chose one, accepted one, and didn't like the other one. And it, it led to the first murder in the Bible. How about Joseph and his brothers? God chose Joseph for a special destiny. Okay, he had special favor on his life. God gave him dreams of greatness while he was still a teenager. Shared those dreams with his brothers. Do you think his brothers really liked that idea? Did the brothers of Joseph say, oh, Joseph, man, I'm so glad I've got you as a brother. Wow, you're going to be like a god to the family. You're going to save all of us, you know, and the, and the coat that dad gave you, that's amazing, you know. <laughs> Isn't that so? That's so cool. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're my brother. Okay, absolutely not. They hated him. You know? They hated him for it, okay. This is human response to, to the, the choices of God. So getting along in God's kingdom is learning to recognize God's choices and whether your human flesh really likes it or not, learning, learning not only to recognize, but to embrace the choices of God. And I think this is vital training for all of us who are growing up in God's kingdom and wanting to be effective in, in God's kingdom, that, that we're trained by learning to respect and, and recognize and even embrace God's choice of others. So often we're, we're, we're tested, we're tried, and we're trained by God when, when his, the finger of his choice is pointing at someone else, and particularly when, that, when God is choosing someone else for something that you dearly wanted personally to have, and something that deep inside your heart you are convinced that you are better qualified for that, and then God chooses someone else. Okay, can we, can we, can we respect that? Can we embrace that, okay? Because if, if you can get to the point where because of your love for God and your dedication to Him as one of His servants, you can embrace that, I'm telling you, it won't be long 
before the finger of God's choice is pointed at you. And he says, I'm choosing you for this, and I'm expecting everybody else to cooperate. Okay, this is how God works in his kingdom. And so there's a, a very special choice that he made in the Bible, and it's the choice of a particular people to be, to be like an example people. And that is his choice of Israel. And, you know, God didn't recycle an existing nation when he wanted a people to be his model. And actually, he worked kind of severely with Israel throughout history. And I think you'll, you'll agree that there are few nations today that knowing the history of the Jewish people over the last 2,000 years would voluntarily trade places with them. <laughs> and, you know, knowing what happened to the Jews for the last 2,000 years, you know, do we have any other candidates for chosen people? Okay. You know, it's a, it, it, you know I know the Japanese people never would have accepted that. Oh, and by the way, about God's choices. You know, I looked in the Bible for Japan, and I couldn't find it. You know, I mean, I really looked, okay? It's just not there. And, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm really still kind of angry about that. <laughs> but every time I bring it up to God, okay, it seems like his answer to me is, well, Peter, you just have to get over it. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I mean, Israel is, Israel is mentioned 2,500 times in the Bible, okay? It says, I chose one. Okay, one for all, okay? You all have to look and learn. When Israel was obedient, Israel is, is a shining light, a, a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful example of, of God's grace. When Israel was disobedient, there's still an example of, of chastisement, and, and, and we see that in Israel. God chose, God chose Isaac and not Ishmael. Listen, we are still fighting over that in the Middle East. Okay, if you want to know really biblically what is, what is the core, what is the seed of the conflict between Jews and Arabs, okay, well, it's not political ultimately. It has a, a political outside and a military outside, okay? But inside, the Bible describes it as the longest-running family feud in history. Okay, it's two sides of Abraham's family that are still arguing over an inheritance. And one book says God chose Isaac, and another book says that God chose Ishmael. Okay, so the real issue is, who is God, and what did he really say? And what is his choice? Okay, this is why, you know, I've, I told you how many years I've been in Israel. We've seen the most talented and the high, most highly paid politicians from all over the world come and go and try to solve this problem in the Middle East with political solutions. And it just year after year, administration after administration, our, the conflict in our region just shrugs off these political solutions because it's not ultimately a political issue. The Bible describes it as a family issue. And any of you who've been involved in a family conflict, you know how unreasonable <laughs> these fights can be and how bitter they can be and how dysfunctional they can be. Okay, if you understand that, you can understand the Middle East. But I'd like to take you to a, a biblical story of one of the enemies of Israel. And, you know, by the way, uh, nothing has changed in our neighborhood for thousands of years, okay? This, this man's people are, are still our enemies, but he came to a realization of God's choice, and it changed his life. So I'm going to tell you the story of Naaman, the Syrian general, and it's found in 2 Kings chapter 5, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'm just going to uh, read to you uh, beginning in verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, highly respected, 
Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. This man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Okay, so in those days, the kingdom of Aram was, was militarily and politically dominant in the region. And, and Aram would be Syria today. Syria, Iraq, okay, that, that whole northern, northern area of, of the Middle East. They were militarily, politically dominant. Israel was kind of, kind of worried about them, okay? And the man that had made this possible for Aram was this general. His name was Naaman. And he was highly respected. He had everything that a man could want in his hometown of Damascus. But he had an incurable disease that was eating up his flesh and ultimately was going to kill him. Now the Aramaeans, this is verse 2, had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, that he would cure him of his leprosy. Okay, so he had this little slave girl in his house that they had taken captive on one of their incursions into Israel. They'd taken this little slave girl captive. Something about Naaman, I think, shows us something of his character. She, even though she's a slave, even though she's a captive, she loves him. And so she says to his wife, you know, in my country, we have prophets who heal, heal sicknesses like that. Okay, this little remark became a huge international incident. Okay, so it went to, you know, it was Twitter, it was Facebook, you know, they were sending emails. Okay, it goes through the royal family of Aram and ends up in, in, in the king's ear. So the king of Aram says to, says to his, his, his scribe, send a letter to the king of Israel. So they send a letter to the king of Israel. The king of Aram says, I'm sending you my general Naaman. I want you to heal him and send him back whole. Okay, so when the king of Israel gets this letter, you know, the Bible says he tore his clothes. Okay, this is biblical language. He got upset, all right? He <laughs> tore, tore his clothes. And he said, don't try that today, okay? You, you, can be, you, can be, you can be upset in other ways today, all right? It's okay, all right? So he got upset and he says, what, what am I God? I'm going to heal this king's general? You know, I, this isn't a legitimate request. This is a provocation, okay? He's just looking for another excuse to bring another attack on our people, okay? So that's why he was upset. He thought this was a political issue. I'm telling you, nothing has changed in our neighborhood thousands of years, okay? Okay, but then, so it goes around in the, in the kingdom of Israel, okay? And eventually it comes to the ears of Elisha, okay? The disciple of Elijah the prophet. And Elisha sends a message to his king. He says, why is my king torn his clothes? Calm down. Send the general to me. I'll take care of it. Okay, so, you know, I think I'll just tell you this story. Um, So the word goes back, and the king of Aram says to his general, okay, I'm ordering you. You go to Israel and come back healed. (laughs) So the king... The, the general, I mean, he's, 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 he's a really obedient man. I mean, this is his, the story of Naaman, okay? So he's obedient to his king. He gets his entourage together. He's not going to go by himself. He's going to go with his soldiers. He's going to go with the, 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 the press from Damascus. He's going to go with the black SUVs and the bodyguards, you know. So they, they cross the border, and they make their way all the way across northern Israel until they come to the forests of Samaria and the little hut of Elisha the prophet. Okay, and then Naaman the great general sends one of his trusted chiefs of staff, okay, to the, to the hut, and they knock on the door, and the man says, 
Open in the name of Naaman, the general of Aram. And nothing happens. And then a moment passes, and the door opens a crack. (laughs) And it's not the prophet. It's the prophet's servant. Okay, And the prophet's servant says, the prophet says, go dip in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. Bang. That was it. That was it. All right, so, so Naaman, I'm paraphrasing the Bible here. It says Naaman got furious, furious. He says, what? I came all of this way? I, I thought at least the prophet will come out. He's gonna, I mean, they're going to have a ceremony. They're going to have a service. There's going to be the worship team, the deacons, the elders, the pastors. And then I expected the, the prophet's going to come out. He's going to, you know, it's going to speak these great words and raise his hand over me. And I'm going to be healed. I mean, you know, th- this is what I thought. And, wh- and what is this? Dip in the Jordan seven times. We've got better rivers in Damascus. I mean, this is like telling me, take two aspirin, you know, call me back in the morning. Okay, what, 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 you know, if it was just to dip in a river seven times, I could have done that at home. I mean, he's furious. He's furious. I think the reason, the real reason that Naaman got so angry was that he hadn't come to Israel with faith. He really wasn't expecting to be healed. And so he was already thinking, when I, have, when I go back to Damascus unhealed, what am I going to have to say? Okay, at least I'm going to tell them, well, they had this great ceremony. I mean, they all came out. I mean, the music was fabulous. Okay, and then all the leaders were there. And then, and then finally the great prophet came out and he spoke the words. No, I didn't get healed, but it was a great ceremony. Okay, I mean, he's already thinking what he has to say. He can't go back and tell them, well, it was the servant of the prophet and he told me to dip in their river. And, and you know, how many of you have been to Israel? Any of you have been to Israel? Okay, a few. Okay. All right. You know, look, look. We love the Jordan River. And, and it's a biblical river. I mean, they sing songs about it. But the truth is, it's not deep and wide as the song says. Right? And it's not blue like the other song says the Danube is. Okay? And it's not, it's not like a, it's not a great river. Okay? It's like it's usually green and mostly brown. Okay? And it doesn't go straight. It goes like this, you know, and in, the, and in the dry season, after a dry summer, you know, the reeds have grown up. You know, sometimes it's really hard to even see it, all right? And so it's not an impressive river, but it's our river, okay? Sorry, don't say anything bad about the Jordan, Jordan River, all right? You know, and so, so I understand what Naaman is saying. He's saying, what? Dip seven times in that muddy stream? If I do that, I'm going to have to take a shower afterwards. I mean, you know, know, we have better rivers elsewhere. And it's true. But he is surrounded by good people. They give him good advice. And there's something about this man. He listens to them. And his servants come to him and they say, Master, if the prophet had told you to do some difficult thing, you would have done it in an instant because you're a great man from a great nation. You wouldn't have hesitated to do some even impossible thing. Okay? So how much more did he tell you to do some simple thing? And you know, Naaman, you can kind of picture him going, you know what, you're right. Let's get this over with and go home, all right? So he goes down to the Jordan. Now in Hebrew, the word for Jordan is yarden, and it's from the Hebrew word yared, 
which means to go down. All right? You go down to the Jordan. And it's a picture of, of a man humbling himself. Okay? Here's this great general. He has to go down to the muddy banks of this little river and undress. And then he has to wade out into the water that is not clear and blue and beautiful. Okay? And he has to dip an emphatic seven times. It wasn't once or twice or even three times. Seven times. Okay? So he wades out into the stream and he dunks himself once. And he dunks himself twice, three times, four times, five times, six times. But on the seventh time, okay, he goes down into the water. And when he comes up on the seventh time, boom, he looks at his flesh that was being eaten by this disease. And it's pink and smooth like a baby's bottom. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it says in the Bible. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't think this guy could believe it at first. He probably just stood there shaking in the middle of the river. I'm healed. I'm healed. What all the doctors, what all the physicians, what all the wise men, what all the wealth of Damascus couldn't do was done in an instant. In an instant. He's healed. He's whole. And he's well. But this man is wise enough to realize that this is, this is about more than just healing the general. He realizes that there's, there's something that is being spoken to him by the Most High God. And I want to show you this from the Bible. Here's a, the, the revelation this man has after he's healed on the seventh dipping into the Jordan. So I'm going to read to you now from 2 Kings chapter 5. This is verse 15. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15. When he returned to the man of God with all his company and stood before him, he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He says, I got it now. You know, I'm happy to be healed. I'm glad. I mean, praise God for this. This is a miracle. But I know this miracle is about something else. You know, miracles are called signs in the Bible. Okay? So he got his miracle, but he was wise enough to realize this was a sign that was pointing him to something really important that he was going to take with him for the rest of his life. He said, now I know there's only one God in all the earth, and it's the God of Israel. Now, listen, this man is the one of the leaders of the enemy of Israel. And to this day, his people are the enemies of Israel. But God spoke to him about his sovereign choice. And he was wise enough to respect it and to embrace it. And in that, in that embracing of it, he received a miracle of healing. I want to, you know, if you go ahead and read the rest of this chapter, you realize how deeply impacted this man was. Okay, he goes back. Now the prophet comes out, okay? And he says this to the face of, of, of Elisha. And, and then he says, but you know, listen, I, I'm going to ask you to pray for me now because I have to go back to Damascus. And when I go back to Damascus, I'm not the king. I'm, I'm just the general. And one of my jobs is I have to take the king's arm when he goes into the pagan temple to worship his gods. He says to the prophet of Israel, I want you to pray for me so that the real God won't hold it against me. I mean, this man was changed, transformed, 
transformed because he embraced that, that, that truth. I believe I see this, this pattern throughout the Bible that when we respect God's choices of another and, we, and God sees us embrace, he says, good, I like that. Because actually what you're doing is you're really embracing me. You're really allowing me to be sovereign, the king of the kingdom. And, oh, what was that miracle you needed? Okay, no problem. Go and be healed. Go and be whole. Let the, the Lord will establish his purpose in us when we embrace his purpose for others. And the Bible is his record. It's the record of God's choices, choices that he has sovereignly made in his kingdom. You know, there's a, another story. It's uh, from the New Testament. And I, I'd like to bring this to you because there's some people who, after hearing this, might say, oh, well, this, of course, that's the way God worked in the Old Testament. Let me just tell you this um, story about one of Jesus' excursions with his disciples. It says he was, he was going into Lebanon, what is today Lebanon. And um, he was in this area, and, and a woman came out of the crowd. Okay, it says a Canaanite woman, but of course he was, you know, she, he was in her territory. He was far north, out of the territory of Israel. He's walking with his disciples, and a, and a woman comes, comes out of the crowd, and she's crying out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, and she's making a disturbance, and it says that at first, Jesus completely ignored her. And then, finally, his disciples come to him, and the disciples say, Lord, you have to do something about this woman, because she's creating a disturbance. Just give us the word, and we'll take her out of the meeting. Okay, they're acting like really good ushers, all right? <laughs> and, but, but I think Jesus has, has a reason for ignoring this woman at first. I think he wanted his disciples to see what he was going to do. And maybe out of the corner of his eye, he was checking to make sure that Matthew was taking notes, okay, so that we could benefit from this. He doesn't say anything to her at first. His disciples come. Now they're all gathered around, and the procession kind of stops. The crowd is gathering around, and here's this woman. And, and, and he says to her, now he's ready to answer her. Everybody's watching and listening. He says, you know what? I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so he says, listen, you know, you know who I am. You just called me Lord. You just called me son of David. But don't you know God sent me to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not to your people. And then it says that this woman, then she, she, she bows before him and she says, Lord, help me, help me. And you know, listen, this woman is not asking for herself. She's asking for her daughter. She says, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Just help me. Okay, so now here's this picture. There's this woman. She's bowing before the Lord. Okay, now what's recorded in Matthew, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, it caused me a lot of struggle because what Matthew records that Jesus said next sounds more like an insult than anything else. Jesus says to her, you know, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. I mean, that's what's written in our New Testament. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in an argument with someone? 
Oh, okay. I'm the only one, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, and it starts out at first as an exchange of views, you know, a difference of opinions, and it escalates very quickly, you know, to the point, you know, things heat up very fast, and pretty soon you're saying things not to make some type of rational point, but to hurt the other person, okay? And so you're trading these things as, as fast as they come to your mind, and then the other person says something so cruel, so cutting, so true. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you were just, boom, it just hits you like this, and uh, you have nothing to say after that. You know, it's just the air is taken out of you, you know, and the, and the argument is over. Have you ever had that experience? And, and then, and then, but then two hours later, you think, oh, I could have said this, I could have said that. What was I thinking about? You know, and this, and this, and this, and this. What was wrong with me? Okay, all right, listen. I, I believe if Jesus, the Son of God, had said that to me, okay, I would have been like, I would have been like, if I'd been that woman, I would have been, okay, take me out of here now. <laughs> Just drag me out, okay. I'm done here, you know, I'm done here. But not this woman, okay? This is a chosen woman. And you know what? I believe that Jesus, Yeshua, knew it. Okay. You know, the, the Bible says that the plans of the mind are from man, but the answer of the tongue is from God. Okay? This woman had been chosen by God to answer Jesus okay, for herself, for her daughter, and actually for us too. Okay? So she says to Jesus, she says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I mean, she says this. Now, now look. The more I read that over the years, the more I'm beginning to think there was a smile on her face. She's looking up at Jesus, and she's saying, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs get the crumbs. They fall from the table. I mean, think about it. What are you going to do with an answer like that? You know, it's an inspired answer. It's so sweet, so humble, okay? I mean, you know, she's looking into his face. He looks down at her. And he says, this is what Matthew records. He says to this woman, oh, woman, your faith is great. Your faith is great. And Matthew then records in the same verse, and her daughter was healed at that moment. At that moment, okay? So here again, here's another woman from another people, an enemy people, okay? She embraces God's choice. She gets her miracle. It took that kind of humility. It took that kind of brokenness, okay? You see this pattern again and again in the Bible. Okay, so Japan isn't found in the scriptures, all right. I'm getting over it. I'm getting, I'm getting over it, you know? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace this. In fact, let me tell you, here's, here's an experience I once had. You know, my, my wife and I lived in Japan for a number of years, and we actually moved to Israel from Japan. Okay, and after we'd been living in Japan for a number of years, we got to the point where we didn't want to take visitors to the famous temples anymore. 
Okay, you know, Japan is filled with temples and shrines, and some of them are like national treasures, okay? And people come from all over the world to see these things, some of the oldest wooden buildings in the world, okay? And, they, they, you know, they want, they want to see the gardens, the Zen gardens, and, you know, okay. So, so, you know, in our early years, we would take our friends, we would take our family, and, and we just got to the point where the spiritual warfare was just too much of a bother, okay? Because you just, you just feel the opposition. You'd have to... You'd have to fight spiritually, okay, to, to, to even to go into those places. So we just decided after a while, we're just not going to do it. Okay, we're not going to do it. But at the same time, we had become members of the Jewish community because we knew eventually we were going to end up in Israel. And, and we were, you know, become friends with the rabbi. And we were actually, you know, we would, we would celebrate Passover with them and, you know, and uh, Feast of Tabernacles, you know. So we were doing some things to, to, to prepare ourselves. And so one day I said to my wife, I said, you know, it's not fair. It's not fair. You know, we, we won't celebrate the holidays of my people, but we're still celebrating the ho- holidays of your people. Right? Don't you think that's unfair? And she said something so sweet. <laughs> so true. <laughs> okay? She said to me, yeah, but ours are in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to say? I said, uh, uh, okay, I guess I have to study more <laughs> about that. Okay, so what I've learned over the years is that, is that you know, embracing God's choices is really important. And Israel is a, is a prime example. It can be a stone of stumbling if you allow it to be. You know, why should there be a chosen nation? Isn't this favoritism? Well, the Bible says God is not one to show partiality, okay? So why, why, what is it chosen? Well, I didn't say it was a chosen nation. The Bible did. The Bible did. He said, I, I, I chose them. And then, of course, knowing their history, would anyone else want to, you know, be a candidate for chosen nation? I don't think so. You know, they received a, a stricter upbringing than most of us did when I was a child. There were only two of us in the family, me and my sister. When I was born, she was four years older than me. Now, after all of those years, she is still four years older than me. (laughs) I tried everything, but I never caught up. (laughs) However, when we were small, there were some things I learned never to do because I watched her interaction with our parents. You know, in many ways... She received a stricter upbringing than I did. We'd get into trouble, and our parents would say to her, you should have known better. <laughs> and they, they kind of ignored me. Okay, I was expected to watch and learn. So it is. God has a big family. He loves all of his children the same. He has a family of many, many, many nations. But in God's family, there's one firstborn. One firstborn. And we do well to look and to learn. And if we can embrace that choice we can get our miracle. God will heal our land. God will heal our people. God will save our families. It's a matter of seeing God's choice, embracing it, and then allowing God's finger of choice to point to you when that time comes. I'd like to pray with you. Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Lord, we're here because of God's choice. You've chosen us. You've chosen us. Many are called, but few are chosen. You've chosen us to know you, to, to, to understand that the scriptures are true. Help us, Lord, because of your choice of us, to recognize your choice of others and to not only recognize, 
but to embrace your choice. Thank you for Israel, our older brother. You've been strict with them. But Lord, thank you for letting them be the example. We pray that, that you'd give us the grace not to stumble over that stone, but to embrace and, and to allow your truth to bring healing to us. How many of you today would say, I want to be sure of God's choice of me? Just put your hand up and put it down because I want to pray for you. Okay. Lord, your choices are not general. Your choices are specific and personal. You know each one of us intimately. And so when we say to you, Lord, I want your choices to be active and effective in my life, we're choosing the way, the truth, and the life. We're choosing to walk in eternal life. So I pray, Father, that you'll plant that seed in our heart. Thank you for the power of your choice. Thank you for the power of agreeing with you as you lead us today, tomorrow, and really for the rest of our lives. Seal this in us and protect us as we walk this out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.